A reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 14 through 22. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now when Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe then approached and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. All right, so we're in the midst of a series of conversations about our values as a community. Hey, uh, it's our custom at the beginning of every year to do something to rehearse our identity, uh, to talk about our our rule of life together or um, our mission together. This year, we're kind of revisiting our values, and we have seven of them, and I'm not going to try to remember them all, uh, but I'm just going to say the one we're talking about this week, which we've already uh, alluded to, and uh, it is lightweight and low maintenance. And the the subheading of this is that uh, we are committed to simplicity and in investing most of our resources in people rather than projects or programs. Uh, We got this turn of phrase from a guy named Mike Breen and an organization that he worked with called 3DM. And it's one of the ways that they talked about missional communities, small groups of people in their neighborhoods that were seeking to be the church and to connect to God and each other and their neighbors. And um, these the idea is that these missional communities are lightweight and low maintenance so that uh, it, they don't require paid staff to lead them or run them. Everyday working folks with families and their lives can lead and sustain these communities because they're they're lightweight and low maintenance. They don't have a lot of overhead. Uh, they don't have a lot of... Uh, structure and work required. They're simple and nimble. Um, and so in some sense, it's the, the, the structural and economic commitments that make possible one of our other values, which is, uh, we'll talk about next week, I think, which is that everybody gets to play. That's another one of our values that, um, Sarah Walker has talked a lot about. Uh, part of the way everybody gets to play is that the things that we do are simple and reproducible enough that um, most anybody could do it without a lot, without a seminary degree, without tons of theological education or years of training uh, so that um, it can be something that we share. And theologically, it comes from this idea that all of us are the body of Christ. All of us are the priesthood of believers. And so we get to be priests together, if you will. Um, so our kids can join in and help lead and help facilitate um, as they do. Uh, So that's kind of, it's connected in that way to everybody getting to play. Um, Things are lightweight and low maintenance. If they were heavier and higher maintenance, it might be harder 
for more folks to do things, right? Uh, this phrase, lightweight and low maintenance, has also taken on other layers of meaning for us. Um, it refers to our nomadic status as a community. Uh, we have never owned space in our history and are, you know, maybe a little bit proud of that, like because of this value that, um, that we use rented spaces. We don't own a lot of stuff. We don't have a ton of assets. Um, we try to send as great of a percentage of our giving as we can every year to help people outside of our community in our neighborhoods. Um, either through our justice fund or through our advent offerings or through our contributions to church planning. And our hope has been that we can give a greater and greater percentage, more and more of our percentage of giving could um, increase toward those kinds of causes over time. You know, I'd be remiss not to at least notice one of the first things I think of when I read about us investing most of our resources in people um, namely that I am one of those people in whom the community invests a good chunk of resources. Uh, and I, I want to name that because that's a part of this conversation too. And, and just to say, I'm really grateful for that. And my family is grateful. And sometimes I have hesitation or chagrin or self doubt about that. I hope it's a good investment. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm grateful and I receive it as a gift. I'm curious, for those of you who have been a part of Storyline, uh, when you hear lightweight and low maintenance, what does this value mean to you? Um, what do you perceive it means to our community uh, and uh, for our guests? Our, our preaching is dialogical, so we do, like, talk and discuss. Um, so, yes, you're, you're welcome to listen and observe or pitch in and talk uh, as much or little as you want. This is not working. Oh, no, this is for the people. Yes. So would anybody like to respond? When you hear lightweight and low maintenance, what does this value mean to you? Or what do you perceive that it means to our community? And and if it seems weird, these mics, I know you can hear us in this room. These mics are for our Zoom folks that are, we've got several folks that join on Zoom. Yeah, I, I just, for me, lightweight, I visit a lot of churches. In fact, people ask me, so where do you go to church? And I say, what week is it? Right. You know, because yep. of what I Could do. you explain why that is? Uh, I work for EEM, and so I'm a, a fundraiser, basically. So I'm gone most of the time. Uh So... Uh, and so I've been visiting a lot of churches and having been involved in local ministry myself in, in the past, lightweight and low maintenance, as far as I'm concerned, is the only way to go. I'm just, for me, I've, over the years, I've gotten very tired of high institution and the institution existing to maintain uh, a facility to maintain a status quo to maintain there's such a vested interest that there's no way that you can you can maneuver there's no way that you can respond to a need like that uh so many wheels are in motion so many cogs and so to me as i look at as i look at the early church and i know that you know we talk about models and all that that's i know that's nothing 
necessarily sacred about having to do it the way it was done exactly back then. Uh, but at the same time, um, the nimbleness of the early church is something to be greatly admired. And I think worthy of imitation because I think we've, we've hamstrung ourselves. Hmm. So to me, this is one of the greatest values that we have. One of the greatest values. It's probably about one seventh of the greatest values <laughs> that we have. <laughs> Thank you, Daryl. Anybody else? Uh, I remember a, f- a preacher who recently retired visited Storyline a number of years ago and was not impressed with our worship uh, and felt like it was mediocre. Or was mediocre your words? Yes, I told him that we were intentionally mediocre. Yeah, intentionally mediocre. And uh, <laughs> I think one of the things I appreciate about our worship gatherings in its mediocrity is that it frees us up to put energy other places that Sunday morning doesn't have to be, and shouldn't be the primary expression of our life together. Uh, and it gives, and it gives others an opportunity to play when it's intentionally mediocre, um, and communal. And I just, I appreciate that, that it mm-hmm. frees us up to invest in other ways in our, in our neighborhoods and in each other. Mm. Uh, so I, I like that. I don't know if we want to put the word mediocre in our values, but. Sure. Uh, yeah, because what 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 that preacher heard was we want to be mediocre Christians. Yes, yeah, yep. I think that was his yeah. his uh, reflection back of what he heard. Which yeah, that's not what we're saying, right? right? Yeah, right. Yeah, he he came and told me. He said Charles told me you guys are interested in making mediocre disciples, and I said, <laughs> I said, a that's not what Charles said. <laughs> B wouldn't that be an improvement for most Christians in the world today? <laughs> Like, wouldn't, wouldn't mediocre be like an upgrade? Touche. Um, <laughs> Can I throw something in on that? Oh. I just, just to find it back, and I don't want to get off subject or anything, but why not? Uh, I was, years ago, I had spoken at a Bible class at a large church, and I didn't do the sermon. And this was when we met on Sunday nights. And the uh, the center near White Rock. Um, and I remember that day thinking, wow, you know, the singing's pretty good here. And yeah, some of those songs I wouldn't have chosen, you know. And then the, the preacher got up. He was pretty good. Uh, he had the, I mean, it was kind of 70-ish pop, 70s pop psychology with a little Bible thrown in kind of, but he was, it was, it was engaging. It was, it was okay. And, you know, and I, I found myself talking, thinking all, all of that. And then Sunday night, we're at our community. And as Terry and I are driving home and I'm talking about, you know, it was really neat to, to be able to talk. And this was when our, our Muslim friends were with us, you know, be able to visit with so and so and be able to talk with so and so. And we're talking. And then it just hit me and I stopped. And I said, Oh my goodness. This morning I was evaluating an assembly as if it were something I consumed. And it didn't even occur to me to evaluate what happened that night because it wasn't something to evaluate. It was just talking about the relationships that was going on. And I think that's the difference between all of this. Mm. Right on. Thanks, Daryl. Anybody else? Maybe one more. Is there one more out there? 
We've got someone on the comments or Sarah Walker herself, you know. Okay. Um, John on the comment says, in my opinion, it's astounding that Storyline gives a huge percentage of its budget to missions and benevolence. That is possible because the overhead is so small. Um, and I was going to say that, yeah, lightweight and low maintenance is important to me, as Charles mentioned. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, I didn't grow up in church and I remember thinking I would like to contribute, but I don't know how, and am I good enough? And am I a good enough singer? Do I play the piano well enough? Like I remember when Paul, we needed a piano player and I was like, I don't know if I'm good enough. And it didn't matter because what mattered was that I was willing to do it and to try. And then I became better. (laughs) And I think excellence, you know, we want to be excellent in what we do. And I think what we try to be excellent at is being okay with being uncomfortable. So we hone our craft, not of being the best at worship or the best at like, I mean, obviously, I mean, the best at like technical aspects of worship is what I mean, but like being the best at being uncomfortable because that prepares us for mission worship. Mm And having excellent music does not prepare us for mission. Worship prepares us, is supposed to prepare us for mission, and mission is uncomfortable and weird, and people don't know exactly what to say, and sometimes you don't have the tools you need, and you just have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing um, when we're having lightweight and low-maintenance worship is we're enabling ourselves to be more empowered missionally. I love that thought that it prepares us for mission. The discomfort, grappling with discomfort or being the outsider or being vulnerable actually builds strength in us for our relationships with our neighbors. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. What she said. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I like that a lot. It's like she was a pastor or something. <laughs> she was, she was a pastor. Um, there is another layer of this value that I want to address and that I found myself drawn to thinking about this um, and that we don't talk about as much um, together. I mean, we don't talk about this value out loud a ton. We just kind of live it together. Um, maybe the lead team talks about it when we're sorting finances or strategizing or whatever. Um, but it's the individual level, uh, the because I think the communal aspect of being lightweight and low maintenance um, is in many ways built on the individual aspect of this. Um, the individual aspect makes the communal aspect sustainable and imaginable and agreeable. Um, the individual aspect is best expressed by the word simplicity, uh, which again, in the way that we describe this value, we are committed to simplicity. Um, that's the kind of the the posture that that's at the heart of this value for us. Uh, and Jesus, in our gospel story today, a, appears to be a paragon of simplicity. He is Israel's Messiah. He is the fullness of God. He is the presence of God tabernacled in human form. He is an agent in the creation of the new heavens or, well, the, both the, the heavens and earth as they are and eventually the new heavens and the new earth. And yet, uh, he's itinerant. He is a member of the peasant class. Uh, and he has nowhere 
to place his head. Jesus is socially displaced. On Thursday night, uh, we had a memorial for our friend and spiritual family member, Lowell, and Ryan and Claudia Porsche, who are co-founders of Storyline from the very beginning years were on the call, which um, warmed my heart. Uh, and they reflected, because they, they remain dear friends to this day, they reflected on their relationship with Lowell and with our, our friends and neighbors and fellow partners uh, who are in poverty, um, but how their relationship with Lowell transformed their assumptions about our friends and neighbors in poverty. One of which was that folks in poverty don't want to be poor. Every person in poverty doesn't want to be poor. Um, sometimes they don't, for sure. Uh, but sometimes our friends in poverty are just content with very little. Um, Lowell was one of those people. He was content to sleep in a tent. Honestly, he felt very peace, very at peace, staring at the stars on his back, you know, just on a, on a sleeping bag. Uh, he didn't need to have a lot or own a lot. And I mean, if, if you think about it in light of our gospel story, Lowell was a lot like Jesus in this way. Uh, Tommy Ballard mentioned in the memorial, uh, how stunning it was that Lowell was never super stressed or anxious about how close to the edge he lived, at least according, you know, from our vantage point, like, Where's your next meal going to come from, Lowell? What, like, what about this thing that you need? Like things that I would get really anxious about. Lowell was never anxious about those things. He received what came as a gift. Even his next meal, if he didn't know where it was coming from, he wasn't stressed about it. He just received it as it came. Um, and Jesus's simple lifestyle wasn't just for the sake of outward simplicity. Um, he wasn't performing. He wasn't trying to put on a show to be simple for the sake of being simple. It wasn't primarily a reaction or a critique of the institution or materialism or idolatry. It was the expression of an inward reality for Jesus, an inward commitment. Simplicity was the byproduct of this internal commitment for Jesus. Um, and Jesus's internal commitment was to God and to God's kingdom. Or as the indigenous translation of the New Testament describes it, uh, the good road of God, God's good road. Jesus was so laser focused on the good road of God that there was not a lot of room for other attachments. He had this very specific calling and mission that he was pursuing. Uh, I found myself going back to Richard Foster, who is a well-known Quaker and real big on the spiritual disciplines. He has this classic book that's maybe it's 40 years old now called The Celebration of Discipline, where he outlines these classic spiritual practices that Christians engage to, to grow spiritually, to become more like Jesus, to become closer to God. And one of those practices for Foster is simplicity. And um, Foster describes simplicity in this way. And I have a slide for it, Sarah. Simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. We'll get there. An inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. 
Um, the inward reality is the simplicity of heart and allegiance. It's that laser focus of Jesus on the kingdom of God, the commitment to seek first the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the good road of God, and its righteousness and justice in the world. Um, and Foster describes three key attitudes of heart that characterize this internal commitment. And this is where it really starts to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, um, the first one, uh, the first indicator that we have an attitude of simplicity is that we receive what we have as a gift from God uh, uh, rather than feeling like we have what we have because we got it, we earned it, we worked for it or whatever. We receive it instead as a gift from God. Uh, number two, we recognize that what we have is cared for by God uh, rather than, on the contrary, feeling like I have to protect or guard or defend what is mine so that somebody else doesn't take it away. Well, if if what is mine is a gift from God and it is also cared for by God, uh, I can be more open-handed in my posture toward that. And then third, um, we, sh- we share in what we have uh, with others uh, what, when it's good and right to do so. Um, it, it, when these three are kind of going on in, inside of us, uh, we have a posture of simplicity. This is what it means to have an interior of simplicity. And Foster would say, when, when the script is flipped, and we feel like, oh, what I have is what I've gotten and earned. And I really got to be careful to protect and guard it. And I can't really share with others because uh, that I'm not sure that I would have enough for me or for mine. You know, it's more of a scarcity mentality. When, when we have those kinds of mindsets, he would say that the opposite is not complexity. It is duplicity. It is, it is to be deceived. Uh, those are attitudes of duplicity rather than simplicity, which is about receiving and recognizing and sharing, which gets all up in the business of my heart about how I relate to my stuff. I don't know if it's the same way with you, but that's, that's how I'm tuning in with that. Foster says that the outward lifestyle of simplicity that flows from these attitudes will be as varied as individuals and multifaceted circumstances that make up our lives. So there's there's no one way that these manifest themselves. All of us are called to express our simplicity outwardly in different ways. So let's not make a bunch of legalistic rules about what it looks like. Let's not get into bondage over, oh, are we exactly as simple as we should be here or there everywhere? Um, it's contextual. It is, it is personal or even micro communal, like for our community to get together to discern. Otherwise, these rules for simplicity could just turn into soul killing legalism. Uh, nonetheless, there are some principles that can guide us. Foster shares 10. I'll share them with you briefly, which I think these are really helpful. And the, the language is, uh, text is kind of small. But I put them all on the same slide because we're going to come back to them in a second. Uh, number one, buy things for their usefulness rather than for their status. Um, not for the label or the brand or because other people will think we'll, we're cool or we'll belong, but because 
it's something that's useful to us. Number two, reject anything in you that is producing an addiction, an attachment, something you feel like you can't go without, something you feel like you're spending more time on to the neglect of, whatever it means for you to pursue the good road of God. Uh, number three, develop a habit of giving things away. Deaccumulate. Number four, refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. Uh, translated, maybe I don't have to have the newest iPhone or uh, I, maybe I don't have to refresh my MacBook every six months or what, whatever new techno thing that's making whatever I have feel old or more obsolete. Huh? Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. I heard, I heard a, uh, a city planner and a, like a, a global ecologist kind of person, a geologist maybe. Ah, I can't remember what his, he's a journalist too. He's talking about like green city planning and his imagination for city planning was what if um, most of the time when we think about what's luxurious, we think about um, the things that the wealthy and the rich are able to have for themselves because of their affluence. But what if our city planning imagined may, what we made luxurious was the common spaces where where we leveled the playing field so that all the folks in a city had access to luxury in our common spaces together. I just thought, wow, is that upside down or what? It's this kind of impulse about um, enjoying things without owning them because we would all get to enjoy that together. But but individually, we would not own that. Uh, owning things is um, an obsession in our culture, Foster says. Number six, develop a deeper appreciation for the creation. Uh, I read a, a doctoral dissertation recently about um, like uh, the practices of simplicity applied to living a sustainable and green existence and how how um, the way that we uh, see ourselves, the footprint we leave on this planet is a connection and an extension and a manifestation of the posture and the value for simplicity. Uh, number seven, look with a healthy, uh, healthy skepticism at all. Buy now, pay later schemes. Uh, debt, they're a trap. It's a trap. Uh, eight, obey Jesus' instructions about plain honest speech. So simple speech, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Number nine, reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. Uh, that's a good one especially for us white folks. That's important to pay attention to. Um, number 10, shun whatever would distract you from your main goal. As we've said, the, the, the highest allegiance to seeking the good road of God and its justice and righteousness. Uh, all right. So I, I want to spend my, my next, my remaining minutes in the message inviting you and, and myself, us, to conduct a personal simplicity audit. You have to, you don't have to share anything of what you're about to audit 
I'll, I'll ask you if you want to share something. So don't call me a liar in a minute when I say, does anybody want to share anything? You, you're not required, as is our custom. All are welcome. None are required. Uh, but I want to give us a chance to kind of work through these slides and to consider, number one, what is the utmost internal allegiance of my heart? And what are the competing allegiances? Number two, regarding the inward attitudes of simplicity, where do you see internal grace and strength in your life? And where are you challenged? And number three, regarding the principles of outward simplicity, where do you see grace and strength in your life and where are you challenged? Now, you don't have to remember all of this. I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through a sequence of each of these layers, the, that, that sent that single allegiance and then your inward posture and then your outward expression. Um, so Sarah, can we start with the first definition slide? Yeah, go, you'll have to go back. Yep. That's, that's it right there. Okay. So we'll start the inward reality. This is, this is the, the commitment or allegiance to God and to the good road of God. Um, what is the, the utmost internal allegiance of your heart? What, what is the most important thing to you? And what are the competing allegiances in your heart? Let me give you, let me give you a minute just to reflect on this. Am I coming through? Is this clear? Okay. All right, let's, we'll move to the next reflection, which regards the inward attitudes of simplicity. And as you look at these inward attitudes, where do you see grace and strength in your life? And where are you challenged? Where do you see grace and strength in your life? And where are you challenged?
moving now to the to the final slide about outward principles, principles for outward simplicity. Um, same set of questions. As you look at these 10, where do you see grace and strength in your life? And where are you challenged? All right. Um, again, all are welcome, none are required. Share as much or as little as you want, but I want to open the floor for anybody to share. Um, what about this conversation or this exercise is getting your attention? Say it again. Say it again. The simple fact that I don't like doing this exercise. It really is. Bothersome. I would say say more, but you don't have to. Yeah. That, well, <laughs> uh, it reveals quite a lot hmm. that I'm not comfortable with that I don't like what it reveals. Hmm. Uh, for instance, that very first thing, you know, um, I know what ideally should be the first most important thing in my life. Realistically, mm. it's not. Mm. And that's very difficult. Mm. I feel you, Daryl. Just looking at that list of things, uh, it seems like a lot of that comes naturally to me. Mm. Um I've never been one who wanted to impress anybody or, um, and that, that number four, uh, I feel like you, you still know, have a flip phone. I was Gary. real happy. <laughs> I had to be forced to even get the flip phone. <laughs> and then people talked me into upgrading to a smartphone and I really don't like it very much, but. And, uh, I mean, it, it gets the job done. I can get phone calls and texts, but I, I don't like to use a phone as a computer. That's what my computer's for. Hmm. It's a computer with a phone <laughs> Well, because I can't see the phone, but. There it is. 
<laughs> yeah, I see the grace of simplicity in you, Gary. The modern gadgetry. Yeah, right. <laughs> speaking yeah, up, modern. speaking of. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was just thinking about number five. So, you know, I, I consider myself a very simple person. Almost mm-hmm. all of these I, I, are very natural to me. I think Becky would probably agree with that. But number five um, is, is something that I've, um, it is a challenge. And it's, it's not just a challenge for me individually, but it's like, it's just a generational thing. Mm. So my, my family, we have a ranch that has been in my family for generations. Mm. Right. And at some point it'll be handed down from my dad to me. And, and, you know, there's a pride that comes with Mm. that. Right. And there's nothing wrong with having it. Right. But, but when the, when, when it affects your heart and then you have, you have sort of this, this pride, sinful pride Mm. about things and you can, with things you have to be very careful and and, mm. and um monitor yourself test yourself mm. let other people give you feedback on, yeah yeah on you know are you using it for number 10 yeah you know? yeah wow thank you cody thank you for sharing that um well that touches on what I've been thinking about which is I appreciate this opportunity to do a self-reflection and to examine my motivations and my beliefs because I think as a culture we just sleepwalk through life and we don't take time to really look at what is driving us and what do we really think is true about things and you can't address anything until you actually stop and look at what is the belief and what is the motivation yeah thank you Becky Somewhere between number six and number nine, um, our friend Lauren Cohn works in uh, the fashion industry, and sometimes I'll get these cute little Instagram ads, you know, for clothes and jewelry and such, and I'll ask her about the brand. I'm like, you know, is this is this a eco-conscious or, um, you know, brand, sketchy brand or whatever, and she'll be like, oh, my gosh, don't buy it. Don't buy anything from them. And send me articles. And just this week, I read a very long article she sent me about how most of Western fashion is is just wreaking economic and environmental havoc on places in the world that are cheap, fast, what they call fast fashion, um, is made in crappy factories that dump their waste into places of poverty and um, and just how shockingly easy it is to really find out what you buy, where it comes from, and how it's made. And immediately I was like, I don't have time for everything. <laughs> I don't have time to care about everything. Um, but the importance of owning fewer things that might cost more for it to be justly made um, than to own a bunch of things. Um, the next cute thing, the next cute thing, the next cute thing, um, which is always a challenge. I don't know. And just... I'm always, I always kind of have the attitude of, I can't care about everything, but it's really not that hard to figure out what we buy, where it comes from. Um, I just don't want to. It doesn't, you know, it's kind of like that. I don't like it. I don't like the way this makes me feel. feels mm-hmm. too much. Uh, I was really struck the three inward uh, principles. The second one, mm-hmm. 
really stuck out to me. Like the first one, everything you have is a gift from God. Like in theory, sure. I agree with that. Yep. It's all a gift. But the notion of everything we have is cared for by God mm. flipped things for me because my posture is typically, this is a gift from God that I am called to steward. I am called I, I to, care. to care. Mm-hmm. And so it creates a sense of ownership and attachment uh, that becomes addictive, that it becomes, um, uh, I'm reliant on it. But thinking of the things I have as cared for by God isn't isn't an excuse to not care for them. Yeah. It's a, an appropriate posture towards it. It's understanding, it's having a right relationship to it. And that one's really, really messing with me. Mm-hmm. Particularly, um, for those who don't know, Jen and I are going to rent out our house. We're moving into an apartment shortly. And so we're getting rid of a lot of stuff. I'm super judgmental of Jen and the things she wants to keep. <laughs> Very protective of the things that I want to keep. <laughs> and as I've been in my garage for the last couple of weeks at all my tools and carpentry things, I've just been struck like how, how many duplicates I have, but I was like, I might need them. <laughs> all three socket sets. I also might need to borrow. Um, but, but that, that notion of who actually cares for it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to sit with that or should sit with it. We'll see if I do, but, Mm. um, that's really messing with me in a good way. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. It does flip the, the script a little bit on how we think about stewardship. And I think you're right. I like that you say it doesn't mean that we don't or shouldn't care for the, the things that we're entrusted with. Uh, but it, it brings to mind this idea in, um, I guess, I suppose it's creation theology. Um, and the idea that God cares for and sustains and preserves creation and, and perhaps as an extension, that's like a big picture macro. An extension of that is to the micro is that, well, God sees all the hairs on our head. God sees and cares and preserves for all the little micros within the macro that God is preserving and sustaining. And you're right. It is a, I appreciate the part of that that is um that leads me to not feel like I have to protect or defend or guard or feel like it's scarce um unless I manage it well or whatever. Yeah. And um this is entirely confessional and autobiographical, but this notion of um like what if I need this down the road? Uh hmm. And I want to I want to hold on to it because I might need it, which implies uh, that I won't be taken care of mm. down the road. That it's not just God cares for this thing, but do I trust that God cares for me as well? Mm. That I can survive without this thing. Yeah. Uh, as you continue to get deeper and deeper in this reflection, it reveals a lot. Ah, that's helpful. Uh, Sarah, in the back, we've got either Sarah Walker or a Zoomer to chime in. Uh, John says, Jesus said, follow me as an invitation to his disciples. The pure simplicity of that was my North Star coming out of drug rehab in 1976. I recall the slogan, keep it simple when my plans get too complicated. I seek to declutter my life at least one time a year. I look through my closet, cabinets, drawers, and bookcases. I say to myself, if I have not touched it in a year, then it is on probation. If I do not think about it for three years, then it needs to make a case for me not to give it away. For me, that it needs to make a case for me not to give it away. 
I take things to the clubhouse at the apartment for my neighbors. We're an outreach organization called Helping Hands that serve the poor in my city. Um, so that's John's thing. And then my, my thing is my financial situation and my family's financial situation is changing. And so some of this is just, I, I can't, hmm. I can't talk about this right now. Um, <laughs> but it like a general thing that it brought up in me and even thinking about what we were talking about before is like, we invest in people. It's not, we kind of say that like, we don't have to spend a lot of money to invest in people, but you do actually have to spend a lot of money to invest in people. Mm. Um, you know, all the mission that we do here, like if I host a party, it's not storyline hosting the party or paying for the pizza for my game night. It's me. Mm-hmm. And so all of us are doing these things. It's not, it's not cheap to pay someone to help us run the admin, you know, to help us find a place to meet, mm. you know, to be the person who listens to us when we're having a rough time to be the person who coaches us. That's not cheap. It's not cheap to do mission like Jesus he didn't have a place to live because he was spending all his time with people. It's not cheap to spend all your time with people. Mm. It's costly. And so um, I think like realizing that we have like a vast resource of ourselves to spend and we can spend it on people or we can spend it on things. Um, and so it is simplicity, but it's monetary simplicity in a way, but not like emotional mm. <laughs> inner simple. Thank you for that, Sarah. I like that. <laughs> and maybe the best thing to ask herself is, why do I want this? Uh-huh. Um, you know, w- what is the purpose in me owning whatever it is? Um, I-, I totally agree with you, Gary. Um, when I finally got a different phone, uh, the Verizon guy laughed in my face and asked me how long I'd had that phone and had to take a picture of it to post it on Facebook. Uh, he said it's a dinosaur man, uh, phone or something. Um, but, um, I think that's for me, it's, I, I'm just going to fess up. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it's so much about me owning it than I felt like I could control it, but I, I guess I'm a control freak. <laughs> no. Um, and so it's, and it's not so much about owning things, I guess, for me. Um, I mean, I still, I have a couch that's over a hundred years old. Um, and so it, it, to me, it's not so much about owning things, but it's more about, about I was sitting there thinking, what's really important to me? And I know that God's the most important thing to me, but I asked myself, is that reflected in everything that I do throughout my life? I mean, would my coworkers know what was important to me? Do my kids know what's really important to me? The people that I meet figure out what's important to me. And I, I think, I think that's important. Um, and I will just say as I get older, um, I think we all do this and it's like, what, what would I want to have put on my tombstone? That's something I think we even younger maybe want to ask, ask, but for me, it's like, what would I want to have put there that it's stuff that was important to me or people were important to, to this person? What if someone read it a hundred years from now, would they know what was important to me? 
I mean, I think that says a lot about our life mm-hmm. as what would someone put on your tombstone? That's a, that's a creative way of thinking about that first question of our, our ultimate allegiance is, or, or what would other people put on our tombstone yeah. if they were to describe our lives? Yeah. 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 Just a final thought from me. Um, yeah. and I promise I won't say anything else. Uh, no, I take that back. You can't promise. Gonna, that. I'm not going to promise that. <laughs> Silly me. Um, one thing that in, in all of this discussion, one thing that keeps on coming back to my mind that has always bothered me. You know, if you read a text and you say, Oh, it never bothers me. You hadn't read the text, right? And that is the pair, uh, not the parable. That's the story of the rich young ruler where we always like to gloss over that. We always say, you know, well, he probably had a lot of possessions and that was the thing that Jesus knew he needed to give up because he was so controlled. But then Peter immediately says afterwards, well, we gave up everything. It seems like anytime anyone follows Jesus, that's the standard. They give up everything to follow him. Hmm. And, and, and in Luke, he says the same thing. Give up everything. He wasn't talking to the rich young man in Luke. He was talking to all of his disciples. But we like to, we like to pare that one down and yeah. say, well, you know, money's really not what I follow. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it yeah. is materialism. Well, it's, uh, I mean, if we, if we believe it, it's damning to all of us, right? Like, yes, that is, that means something radical for all of us, if that's true. So would you please stop talking about that? Yes, I will. <laughs> right now, right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, those are, Jesus says hard things, and that is right at the top of the hard things. And I'm not even going to try to resolve that. We're just going to let that, let that sit. I'm going to sit in my uncomfortable yeah. yep. situation. Yeah. Uh, well, so I want to say, hear the good news, as I like to do at the end of messages. But I feel like before I say hear the good news, I should tell you what the good news is probably not. Um, the good news is not necessarily that if you trust God, you will prosper and have all the things that you need and not experience suffering and not have to go through trauma. Um, I wish I could promise that. I wish I could say that is the good news. Uh, but here's the good news that I sense, um, that I feel like is true down deep in my depths and that I feel like is better news than even wanting to guarantee that everything will be great with our possessions and our relationships and our lives. Um, that, that no matter what, come what may, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No matter, no matter what loss, no matter what economic status, no matter what hardship or trauma or suffering or toil, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is an anchor for us. Uh, the kingdom of God, we live in the unshakable kingdom of God and the kingdom is not in trouble and neither are we. And that is good news to me. I hope it's good news to you.